You're listening to Care, the resident experience podcast from Wellbe. Every month, we chat with some of the best leaders in senior living to discover and share innovative strategies and perspectives that will impact communities for years to come. This week, we're chatting with Colin Milner, founder and CEO of the International Council on Active Aging. Colin, thank you so much for joining the show today. How are you doing? Doing really well, Terry. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. For sure. Uh, and the International Council on Active Aging, that's a big, big title there. What drove you to start it? Frustration. I mean, it's as simple as that. And that is that over the years, uh, I've been involved in the health and wellness field. And uh, with one of the last jobs that I had before launching the association, uh, I was involved with an equipment manufacturer that was doing a lot of the research on strength training and aging. And I would go into uh, senior living communities and they would say, you know, we know how to work with older adults, but we know nothing about fitness. We know nothing about wellness. And I'd go into fitness clubs and they would say, we know about fitness and we know about wellness, but we know nothing about the older adult. And I waited and waited for someone to um, create it and they didn't. So on my 40th birthday, I resigned my position as uh, the president of Idea Health and Fitness Association and launched uh, the ICAA a few weeks later in my mind and then officially launched it a couple of weeks after 9-11. Wow. So you've been at this for a little while then, uh, both in the industry and at the ICAA. Just a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> so about, you've been there. 40, 40 years in total in the industry and 20 years with the ICAA. So yeah, you put those two together and well, heck, there you go. That's telling you my age. <laughs> Hopefully it's not aging you too much. You still, you have the technical know-how of someone, maybe a quarter your age, I'm guessing. So you're doing pretty spry. Yeah, yeah, I'm having a good time, you know, uh, playing pickleball, riding, and, uh, you know, working as hard as I did and as smart as I have ever worked um, over the last three, four years, especially. 100%. And I guess that just shows how important active fitness is, right? Especially as you age. Well, the reality is, is that we all begin to lose our functional capacities as we get older. And one of those is our strength and our power. And we lose about 50% of our strength and 75% of our power between the ages of 35 and 70. Now, you think about that, that's like me throwing someone my or my weight on my shoulders and walking around all day long, I would have some problems. And that's why you see so many people uh, that are struggling when they're walking. Uh, it's not because they're older, it's because they're not fit. They're not strong and we can change that just simply by getting people to be stronger, especially in the legs. That's really interesting that you bring that up. And you've been in this industry long enough, I'm guessing to see many, many shifts in how we view fitness and aging. What are some of the big things that you've seen over time change? Well, I think the, the biggest thing to me is the word I can or the words I can. And that is uh, when it comes to the older population, um, it, you know, that never used to be the terminology that was used. It was you can't. Uh, you are a burden to society. You are not contributing. Today, there is the baby boomers and their parents and Gen X that is now in the 50 plus segment. Uh, and front and center is the understanding 
based on science and driven by media, that I actually can do many of the things that we once thought were just for younger people, such as adventure travel, such as senior games, such as pickleball. A hundred percent. And it's really interesting that that happens. I know I've had experiences myself where 50, year, 50 years old today is not 50 years old 20 years ago. And even more so, 60 or 70 or 80 isn't 60 or 70 or 80 like it was in maybe 2000 or 1980, correct? Well, it, you know, we're still 50, 60 or 70. What has changed is our capabilities. What we have understood is that we actually have the human potential to do better. And all we have to do is embrace that human potential. In the past, uh, my parents' generation, as an example, or my mother's uh, parents' generation, that awareness really wasn't there. So people weren't fulfilling that. Today, we know, based on science, uh, that we can live better, longer. We, we are stronger. We are faster. We're thinking quicker. And, uh, you know, that is fact. Based on research from 30 years ago, uh, we are healthier than we were back then. The question is, do we as individuals and we as organizations that work with older adults embrace that fact or not? And if you don't, you're really missing out on one of the biggest societal changes uh, out there at this moment. For sure. And when we talk about how organizations, say senior living communities, can adjust to that change, what are some of the things that you see communities doing that's creating a positive impact? Well, the first thing is the word commit. You know, communities are actually committing to making a difference. And that's where everything starts. And then from there, the kind of programs that they deliver, the, the cultures that they build, those all have a significant impact. You know, um, we all know that if you walk into a business or a company and the culture is ripe and everybody is vibrant and engaged, that you feel more at home working there than if everybody is negative and it's a downer and no one wants to be there. Same with a community. Uh, if you are lifting people up, you are helping people to achieve their capabilities and they are actually fulfilling their life dreams, why wouldn't you want to live in a community like that? And why wouldn't you want to have a community like that if you don't? So really interesting when we talk about culture on that side. Um, because I've speaking, I've spoken with a few key individuals on this show, just just this show, who have talked about culture being such an important part in changing senior living towards where we want it to go. But at the same time, I think a lot of the times the business objectives have nothing to do with the culture, right? So there's almost a divide between what the businesses, what these communities as businesses are aiming to do, and what they should be aiming to do in terms of culture. Um, why do you think that gap is there? Well, I think the, the problem is that we have a gap because of things like public traded companies that are looking strictly at the bottom line in many instances, and uh, they will cut different elements that uh, an organization that might be privately held would not. But the reality is, is having healthy, happy residents is simply good for business. 
we know based on ICAA's research that we did over a three-year period involved 5,000 people in 100 different locations, that individuals that participate in wellness programs in independent living and inactive or uh, assisted living will actually live in your community 2.6 years longer. So there, or 2.7 years longer, there is a financial benefit and there is no business that I know of in the world that can sustain itself without actually having a positive bottom line. So if we can add to that bottom line at the same time as helping people living better, longer, happier. What's wrong with that? 100%. It's what social enterprise is all about. And I think that's a big shift happening, not just in senior living, but in every business, right? Connecting those business objectives of making the most amount of profit you can and the most growth possible and linking that back to kind of socially sustainable goals that we all want to achieve. What are the problems you see right now that still need to be tackled between kind of we've, we've, we've gone a long way since the 1980s, the 2000s, but what are the problems that we still haven't gotten around to fixing yet? Adaption, adapting to the new way of thinking, adapting to uh, a new consumer. And when I say a new consumer, you know, you think about all the new things that come out every single day. It used to take a long time for new things to come out. Uh, today, it's rapid. And that is also rapidly changing our expectations. But if we as an organization take a long period of time to adapt while our consumer is adapting rapidly, we're going to have a, a, a gap. And if we don't close that gap, we lose business to those who are closing that gap. So I think to me, the biggest challenge, and everybody has talked about it, and there's a lot of pontificating over it, but you got to actually commit and move forward and not just piddle around. For sure. And when we talk about adaptation, I know I think of adaptation a lot in terms of how technology has changed, right? Everything is more digital than it's ever been. Uh, it's cloud default now. Like I'm talking to kids these days and they've, they don't know a world before cloud software. Right. So that's really, really interesting. What are some of the gaps that you see specifically that are starting to form and ways that companies are adapting to move past? Well, I think from the wellness standpoint, uh, let's start there. Uh, the, the big gap is between the uh, desire to have wellness and the desire to engage all residents and engage staff to support wellness and fund wellness and the actual implementation. There is a, I'll give you an example. Uh, we talk about a culture. Well, in one of our recent surveys at ICAA, uh, there was, I think it was about a 49% percentage gap between the organizations that said, yes, it's important to have everybody on board supporting a wellness culture and those who were actually effective in doing so. So mm -hmm. I think for me, the biggest challenge is closing that gap. It's not creating new gaps. <laughs> it's, it's closing the gap that exists so that we can become truly wellness-based instead of a lot of wellness washing that also is happening out there. Mm -hmm. And it, for me, I remember going back into school, uh, we talked about greenwashing. That's something that happens a lot with companies, right? Where instead yes. of becoming sustainable, they 
act sustainable and they talk about sustainability, but they don't change their supply chains, right? And that same thing happens in senior living where, like you said, it's wellness washing. I really like that term, by the way. What are, like, what, what's, what does wellness, wellness washing look like versus truly wellness-based communities? Like, how can you spot the difference? Well, people have great marketing, no programming. People will have uh, great marketing uh, and very few staff. People will have great marketing. You notice the common thread there, great <laughs> marketing, but they won't have a commitment towards funding wellness. So, it, it, and that's why when you ask me, what's the first thing I would start with? And that is the word commitment. If you are not committed to wellness, don't waste your time. Because all that's going to happen is sooner or later, that's going to come back and bite you in the butt. There, there are people I speak with day in, day out who are giving really a very, very small, if not insignificant budget for their wellness programs and expected to work miracles. The reality is we wouldn't do that around care. We wouldn't do that around dining. So why are we doing that around something that keeps your residents healthier, longer, which impacts your bottom line, reduces your cost, your costs, reduces your recruitment, reduces your uh, marketing costs, and actually has people staying in your community longer. It really makes absolutely no sense except for one thing, and that is the lack of understanding of what wellness can actually mean to your organization and those around you. For sure. And I think the ICAA has done a great job. Like we use, we, we read and use your research all the time in terms of trying to quantify it and trying to help organizations quantify that. Right. And it's one of the big gaps we do see where even if somebody, even if a, a like a resident engagement um, division understands the impact they can have, it's tough for them to quantify that for senior management. Right. It's tough for them to answer the question. Well, how is this going? Like, Tell me, how is this going to affect our, our residency rate, right? Like, how is this going to make occupancy longer? Well, it used to be tough. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not that tough anymore. What it takes is an effort, an mm -hmm. effort to actually analyze, to survey, to utilize some of the softwares out there to better monitor and manage uh, numbers so that you know what is happening. If you don't know what is happening, how are you going to be able to quantify it? And unfortunately, a lot of people are still using a spreadsheet. By the way, you can still get information from a spreadsheet. So uh, nothing wrong with that. It's just simply taking up a lot of human time when it's no longer needed. Mm -hmm. There is, a, there is uh, programs out there. And you know, I mean, we're on your show. Uh, <laughs> there, but there are programs out there that can help individuals quantify that. They just simply need to, once again, commit to doing it. And then the question is, what do you do with that data? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how many people I speak with that say, I want this, 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 and this. And then I ask them, what are you gonna do with that data? And most of them, for most of the data that they're looking at, they have absolutely no idea. That's a really good point. We collect all that data on the recreation and what residents are doing one of the problems is like i just think that a lot of kind of the senior executives a lot of the decision makers 
they're not well versed in fitness or in wellness or in how to use the data to improve programming, right? They're just not, that's not their expertise. And there's nobody hiring for those types of positions, right? So what do you see as uh, the solution here? Well, I think you could say that in hospitality as well. And that is that a hospitality CEO may not be well-versed in uh, spas as an example, but you see a lot of the hospitality, uh, whether it is a resort or whether it's a hotel that have these beautiful spas. It's making sure you have the right people below you that understand things so that you have your support team around you if you are not that expert. One of the things that we are going to be uh, doing actually this year, uh, and it's 2022, uh, and that is that we will be launching very shortly in the next couple months, an ICAA CEO recognition award. uh, And it is recognizing the top five wellness CEOs in the country, in North America, actually. And our goal is hopefully we will begin to recognize those individuals and also that those individuals will become benchmarks for others. They will be case studies for others. They will show best practices for others. And we will begin to see more of a groundswell happening in regards to a wellness CEO within care-based communities, which by the way, according to our research, the market itself looks to be shifting from a wellness base uh, or from a care-based organization with wellness to many now that are wellness-based with care. And we see that that, especially with the middle market, is going to do nothing but grow because care is where the cost is. And if you can't afford to move into a current community, the middle market is all about savings. Mm Mm-hmm. That's really interesting when you when we talk about the middle market there. That's what we consider kind of assisted living, right? Where it is, it really is wellness based with elements of care that you can kind of pick and choose, correct? No, well, the middle market really is uh, around people's income levels. So as an example, right now, one of the challenges in senior living is that many people cannot afford the services. Mm-hmm. So uh, by offering lesser services, not lesser quality, but fewer Mm -hmm. services, services that most of the population would use. And then you have care on demand that you pay for, such as telehealth and all of these other things that we've experienced in the middle of the pandemic. Then you become more affordable for people to live in. Really what we're talking about is where most of us live today It's just simply communities that would be for people over the age of 55, uh, but more focused on living well through wellness as opposed to the care end of things. Because when you include the care end of things, that's where the costs and the uh, staffing starts to ramp up significantly. 100%. That is the majority of the cost right there. Um, But you would expect some of the wellness costs to rise, right? Why does... Why does wellness provide such a big return on investment versus care, in your opinion? Simple. And that is, it helps us to manage many of the chronic diseases that we have. It helps us to uh, uh, improve some of the acute 
diseases that we have. And it helps us to live a better quality of life, being able to do the things we like to do, where we want to do them, with how, uh, who we want to do them. By the way, 91% of Americans and Canadians look at that as the definition of healthy aging, being able to do what you want, when you want, with who you want. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And then you see so many of these communities kind of gradually getting there. And like we said, they're going through the gaps to get there. But one of the problems that I see a lot that, frust that frustrates me is that the staff aren't being provided the funding. Or if they are provided the funding, it's very like, they're trying they're just barely getting enough to accomplish what they want right like with all the benefits we talked about and so many of them you've already quantified and it can be pretty easily quantified if you put in the effort yourself why do you think it's continually underfunded well we have a perception of the services that we offer and that is care uh, you know blockbuster had the perception of what they offered and that was a videotape uh, the market changed and blockbuster didn't and they're no longer. The market is changing now. People are focused on how do I maintain my health longer? How do I remain healthy? What we're looking at is how do we shrink our years of ill health, expanding our health span? And by doing so, we will add significantly to the bottom line or the GDP of countries. I think the number was $12.8 trillion over the next two decades, if we were simply to reduce chronic health diseases by 40%. Now, that sounds like a lot, but, uh, you know, the research has shown that we can do that simply using the interventions that we currently have, such as not smoking, not drinking, exercising, having a good BMI, eating the right kind of foods, nothing out there that is kind of crazy or whacked out, but the key is we've got to provide an environment that supports that kind of lifestyle. And if we don't, can we really expect our residents to not falter when they're not supported? Many won't, but many will. Mm -hmm. That is very, very important. You can see that change happening right now. What are some of the smaller tactical things that you can that a community might be able to implement right now? Let's just say that somebody hears this, they're like, wow, you know, like maybe we've been going about this the wrong way. We do want to stop wellness washing. We need, we do want to invest more. What do you spend the money on? Well, I think you spend the money on the things that are going to have the greatest impact. Uh, so what's one of the things that will have the greatest impact? Keeping people strong. The stronger you are, the less likely you are uh, that you're going to fall. The more solid you're going to move up and down stairs. Uh, if, you are, if you have strong legs, as an example, you are like a tree that has the trunks uh, going and the roots going into the ground. And uh, that is your foundation to build from. And then you have power so that you are able to respond quickly. So really, it's not very complicated. And it is, I would start uh, on the physical end, strictly because it impacts every single element and all the dimensions of wellness. But at mm -hmm. the same time, as I'm working on the physical end, I wouldn't start just doing one thing. Uh, I would look at how can I create perp ways for people to be purposeful, to engage within their community and the external community and remain purposeful, embrace their identity and focus on person-centered solutions. And really, uh, at the end of the day, 
It's not very complicated. It's just doing it. I come back to that word again, and I will use it over and over again because it is what is missing, and that is commitment. For sure, for sure. And when we talk about that person-centered, or I really like the word you use there, purposeful, uh, in terms of helping residents themselves find purpose again, that is a huge that is a huge part of senior living right there. How can communities do a better job at that? Because I think that's one of those marketing words that's thrown around the most, but in terms of communities actually fulfilling that, the, the number is much, much smaller, right? So I think the big problem is that we're trying to get people to find purpose. And if you were to probably interview a thousand people, I think you would have a hard time finding a lot of people who can tell you, this is my purpose in life. This is the only reason I exist. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, many people will say my kids or my work or what have you, you know, the standard um, answers. I think it's less about helping people find their purpose and more helping them to be purposeful with the things that they do. So if I'm going to go out and volunteer, I want to feel like I'm doing it and it's having a purpose. I'm being purposeful in that volunteering. If I'm going out and I'm actually uh, teaching someone to do something or I'm being taught, I want to have a purposeful experience. I don't want to just be there. Uh, so I think we need to just adjust our language a little bit. And it's mm -hmm. all about empowerment and inspiration versus trying to do things for everybody else. Interesting. That's really, really interesting. Doing things with purpose instead of trying to help people find purpose. Because that is that is kind of uh, a lost cause sometimes. Like you or I, like it's hard, right? Like you don't have a singular purpose to live for, right? There's so many different things that you want to find purpose in that you do, whether you volunteer or your work or your family, your friends, your community. I really, really dig that point. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people sit back and, well, first off, I think a lot of people don't sit back. I think a lot of people actually don't sit back and think, what is my purpose? But they sit back and they think, how can I contribute? How can mm -hmm. I get involved? How can I be engaged? How can all of those things help and make my life more purposeful? And that's mm -hmm. really what it's about. For sure, for sure. And it's, it's, it's a very unique challenge for staff to kind of navigate that, to ask the right questions and to interact with residents the right way and to provide the right type of programming for people to learn more about themselves in that way, right? What are some of the best ways you've seen that happen? Just get to know the people instead of trying to ask these deep, meaningful questions, you know, just get to know people, you know, find out what their hobbies are, what they like doing, what they enjoy doing, who they enjoy doing it with. You know, the more, uh, the more, you know, someone, the more, you know, about them, the more you can offer them. Uh, one of the big challenges is when we don't know people, we don't know what they like, but we keep offering them things that they're sitting there going, well, I don't want that. And you wonder why those programs aren't filled. I think one of the problems that we also have is that we love filling calendars. The challenge is we don't need to fill the calendars jam-packed. What about leaving people time to be themselves, to you know, connect with themselves? I, I can tell you that I travel a lot and the greatest trips that I've had 
have been when I've stayed at little boutique hotels instead of places that have a jam-packed calendar for things for you to do. And they have two or three things. They have great excursions and they have highly skilled individuals that take you on those excursions and they have great knowledge. And the experience is one that you walk away with going, wow, as opposed to worrying about, I'm going to go from this to that, to that, to that, to that, to make sure my day is filled. You're actually having an experience instead of a calendar. For sure. For sure. And it's important to kind of think about it that way, not because it's important to quantify. Like we've already talked about that in terms of quantifying what you're doing and quantifying the programming. But at a certain point, you got to remember that these aren't just numbers, right? These are people and their lives and their experiences. And that's equally, if not more important. Well, it's an 80-20 rule. And that is that, you know, probably 20% of your programs have 80% of the impact and 80% of your programs have 20% of the impact. So what you want to do is find out which are the ones that are having the impact and also which are the ones that aren't and reduce or eliminate the ones that aren't. Our research has shown over the last 14, 15 years that every couple of years, uh, organizations are continuously adding more and more programming in between 69 to 79% over the last decade, as an example, every two years, it's around that. Well, that's a lot of programs being added. Yes, some programs are being eliminated, but you're not adding additional staff, you're just adding more. Mm -hmm. More isn't necessarily best. Best is more. For sure. And with added quantity without more staff comes obviously like the quality starts dropping right and the other problem i see just personally looking at a lot of these programs is that they're creating new programs without really looking at what worked and what didn't work right so it's just throwing stuff out there or you see in an article oh these ideas are good let me just throw these out there and see if they stick right instead of looking back and having this very data-driven approach of like hey Let's look at what the 20%, the best 20% are. Okay, let's try to do more of that and less of everything else. And then gradually over time, you'll have this amazing, amazing experience, but it'll take the time and it'll take the effort, right? Well, I think that CEOs would be more appreciative of greater experiences. Those experiences may require less staff time, uh, but have higher skilled individuals versus having a calendar that is jammed. And that jam calendar also is adding to a budget that is a small budget to start with at this moment, where if you're having fewer programs, but you could add to the budget to have higher skilled individuals, maybe you would would have people that have greater satisfaction. For sure. And I think that's one of the ways that decision makers ops individuals gms they can really make an impact here right because they're at the end of the day not the ones picking up the programs per se but they are setting kind of the direction forward in terms of how they're created or whether you're focusing on quality or quantity right yeah and if you have a staff member that comes to you and said i have a great idea that can actually help people to experience greater joy at the community Instead of going, well, what's that going to cost? Maybe a good place to start is, well, tell me how you're going to accomplish that. Uh, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people do that. But the reality is a lot of times these programs get shot down because of that word again, a lack of commitment. 
Mm-hmm. And it's 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 a lot of things. It's commitment. It's budget. It's just not caring sometimes. What can management do to create that kind of open line of communication better? Become better students of wellness, become better students of their residents. And those are two good places to start. And if you understand your residents better and you understand how wellness can impact their lives uh, and also how it can reduce your costs uh, and offer something that is extremely compelling, there's a good place to start. I really, really love that. And as we're running up against the end of our time here, is there anything else you'd like to share with kind of listeners of the show, particularly those uh, at that decision maker level who might not know that much about wellness, who might not care that much about wellness, but are just realizing, wow, this is something I should really be focusing on? Well, wellness is now a buzzword around the industry. It is extremely hot, no matter what publication, what to trade association, it's pretty hard to avoid it. The question is whether you are going to embrace it or whether you're going to wait while your competitors embrace it. Uh, but what I would look at is just simply ask yourself, what are we in the business of? Are we really in the business of taking care of people or are we in the business of helping people to live a better quality life? And if we're in that business, then let's look beyond our standard care model to be able to achieve that. I think that's the perfect way of communicating that across to people. Um, finally, um, before we say goodbye here, if people are looking to get in touch with the ICAA, uh, whether it's for your research, for your programs, for webinars, for events, what's the best way they can do so? Well, they can go to our website at icaa.cc, uh, or they can send me an email at colinmilner at icaa.cc. And <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. Uh, happy to answer any questions. And there's a lot of uh, information on there. But to have success in wellness, you need to be a student of wellness. And one of the things that we can help you with is to help school you in that area. Thank you so much, Colin, uh, for joining me on the show today. Uh, it was awesome speaking to you about wellness. And hopefully, uh, this is just the first of many conversations we have about this. Well, thank you, Terry, and looking forward to it. Awesome. Talk soon. Bye now.